Our scripture readings this morning, uh, again, as has been the case for the last three weeks, will be uh, in order the New Testament and then the Old for the sermon. Again, this week will be coming from a text from the Old Testament. The, the New Testament reading, which is closely related, however, comes from the letter of 1 Peter in the first chapter, beginning at verse 8 and continuing through verse 12, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Though you have not seen him, Peter writes, referring to Christ, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our Old Testament reading this morning from the book of the prophet Isaiah in the 53rd chapter, the opening six. Verses again, I invite you to listen. For a word from the Lord as it is there written. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity and as one from whom others hide their faces. He was despised and we held him of no account. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. This morning's text from Isaiah may be familiar to many of you, but it's a passage more apt to be heard during the season of Lent, and especially as we progress throughout Holy Week. But it shows up here in the lectionary on the opposite side of the church calendar, which is fine, if somewhat unexpected. The words of the prophet remind us again of a very 
central story in the New Testament, even as they are recorded in the days of the Old. This past Friday, as the men of the Community Bible Study and Prayer Breakfast gathered over a hearty meal and the Word, we were studying the beginning of Peter's epistles to the early Christians. And there, not very far into 1 Peter, is this interesting nod back to the Old Testaments, such as Isaiah. The prophets who told of old stories which were enigmatic and which even to this day cause consternation among some of the readers and hearers. And that's why we read this passage again this morning as our New Testament text, because Peter was, was grasped by the Old Testament prophets, as so many in the early church were. Folks who had come out of a tradition of Judaism. Folks who were familiar with the Hebrew Scriptures inside and out. And among the arguments that Peter was making in his letter was that the story of Jesus is a story that is built on the stories contained in the Hebrew Scriptures. And that so happened to have been the, the very subject of one of the talks that was given at the Theology Matters Conference I was in attendance at earlier this month. In essence, as one speaker there put it, with four thousand or so direct quotations or allusions to the Old Testament to be found in the New, one really has a hard time making sense of the story of Jesus and the Christian church without an understanding of the Hebrew tradition from which they emerge. In one of the talks, reference was made to an outstanding Old Testament commentary from the Jewish writer Abraham Joshua Heschel. The work was so good that when our speaker taught a course on the Old Testament, this was the text that he used for the class. But he said, despite the merits of this two-volume academic work, it fell flat, he thought, when it came to the material between the 40th and the 55th chapters of Isaiah. Heschel, he said, like so many other Jewish authors over the centuries, just didn't seem to know what to do with the chapters that comprise this section of the prophet. Providentially, it seems that Christian writers such as Peter figured out precisely what to do with them. And that is why when we in the church hear again these words from Isaiah, as we did this morning, we know immediately and instinctively to equate this unfortunate one that Isaiah speaks of with the Lord Jesus Christ. To Christians, this is the suffering servant. There can be no doubt. It is the language that Peter employs in describing the person and work of Christ and others in the very early church. We're right there with him. Clement one of the so-called apostolic fathers, offered a commentary that included in it the complete text of this 53rd chapter of Isaiah and accompanying every verse in the chapter, 
He connects one verse at a time with a description from the Gospels of an event in Jesus' ministry. If we read through this same theological lens when we engage with Isaiah 53, we too are reminded of the who, what, the why of a God who is both just and merciful and incarnate in Jesus. In the 53rd chapter, the prophet speaks of a deliverer, a savior, a messiah, who didn't look the part. Like his ancestor in the lineage of the house of David, he didn't fit the bill for a leader, just the opposite, in fact. He was at the back of the room, the last picked for the team. By all accounts, his background and upbringing were extraordinarily ordinary. He was born to a working class family in a village of little repute, far removed from the center of Hebrew political, economic, and religious life. Isaiah goes on to describe a man who not only had an undesirable appearance, but who was despised and would be rejected. One who was marginalized and stricken, not just by men, interestingly, but by God himself. He was assigned the iniquity of others and bore the weight of their sins upon his shoulders. And remarkably and wholly undeservedly, he bore our transgressions and the penalty that flowed from them so that we might be restored to righteousness, a righteousness that we did not deserve, nor could we have ever achieved on our own merits. And right up front, right before we are told this story by the prophet Isaiah, this prophecy from of old, which in the days of the early church is seen as having been fulfilled by Jesus, we, the readers and the hearers of all these things, are asked by the text, who has believed what we have heard? Put into a more contemporary question, is it true? I have a practice of devotion toward a beginning of every session meeting. This past Monday was no exception. I chose to do something a bit different this time around, and I played for the elders a short audio recording of one of the lectures that was delivered at this theology conference. It was from Dr. Joe Small, who is a, a former pastor, a former seminary president, a former official with our General Assembly in Louisville. He was, at one point in his talk, paraphrasing some remarks that were contained in an address entitled The Need and Promise of Christian Proclamation that was made by arguably one of the great Reformed theologians of the 20th century, Karl Barth, as he was addressing an assembly of pastors a hundred years ago. I'm going to repeat those words now, as not all of you who were there to hear them Monday night, and because even for those who were in attendance, it might have been difficult to hear them on account of the marginal quality of the recording that I captured at the conference. But Bart said, 
On Sunday morning, as the bells start to ring, calling the community and the pastor to church, the moment heaves with anticipation of a great, meaningful, even decisive event. The anticipation has nothing to do with how strongly people feel about it. The anticipation is, nevertheless, real. It permeates the entire scene. Here are people, perhaps only a few, or perhaps a few hundred, who stream into this building, driven by an odd instinct or will where they seek, where they seek what? Satisfaction of an old habit? Perhaps, but where does this habit come from? Do they seek entertainment and instruction? Very strange entertainment and instruction indeed. Edification? In any case, they are here. And their presence already points to an event which they anticipate. And above all, here is a pastor upon whom the anticipation of the day then rests in a very special way. But what's the meaning of this situation? To what kind of event does this anticipation point? No, we cannot suppress it any longer. The question burns, is it true? Is it true, this talk of unity for those who were scattered? Is it true, this steadfast, the anticipation of a steadfast pole amid the flight of phenomena, a righteousness that lies not somewhere beyond the stars, but within the events that make up our present life. Is it true, the speaking of the love and goodness of God as something more than a friendly deity of transparent origin or short-lived dominion, is it true? That is what people want to hear, to know, and to understand. Therefore, they grasp, not knowing what they do, at the unheard of possibility to pray, to open the Bible, to speak of God, to listen, and to sing. Therefore, they come to us, placing themselves into the grotesque, situation of Sunday morning. This is not something that people cry out, least of all, into the ears of us pastors, but do not be deceived by their silence. Blood and tears, deepest despair and highest hope, the passionate desire to grab hold of that which no to grab hold of he who has overcome the world because he is its creator and redeemer, the beginning and the end, the Lord of the world, they passionately desire to have the words spoken to them, the word which promises grace and judgment, life and death, the beyond and the here and now.
This is what stands behind our churchgoers, no matter how spiritless, bourgeois, or commonplace their desire seems to be. They expect us to understand them better than they understand themselves. They, we, you all who come to a church service, aware of it or not, come with a question in the front or at least in the backs of your minds, Bart claims that the question is, is it true? And that happens to be pretty much the same question that begins the 53rd chapter of the book of the prophet Isaiah. Who has believed what we have heard? Can it be that one of the least of these could be the very greatest of these? Can it be that the one whom men rejected is the one who made these very men? Can it be that he who was punished, crushed, killed for speaking the truth is the truth? And the way and the life. Can it be that all, all we like sheep have gone astray. And that the consequences of that stubborn waywardness has been taken by the only one who remained, well, who remained true. Is it true? Is he true? Can we accept the possibility that we have been pardoned of our iniquities, forgiven of our trespasses, freed to live as new creations, and given an eternal inheritance in the life of the age to come? We have heard the story, or at least rumors of it, that the Son of Man is Son of God and has reconciled all the creation with the Creator through His perfect atoning sacrifice, and now the time has come for us to ask ourselves the most important question. Is it true? Our answer could not have greater consequences, for it is indeed the difference between life and death. Is it true? That's what you've all come here again today wondering, says Bart, whether you know it or not. And I want you to know, with complete, absolute, and utter certainty, before you leave here this morning, this one thing, it is true. And for that, we may truly say, Thanks be to God and Amen.